only going to be increasing opportunities for young people to use technology to make our voice heard. So it's really important that we are responsible users and we know how to use technology to not only you know, for our own benefits, for our own good, but for really it's important to stress that you know, the people around you need that kind of community building in order for smart cities, in order for the world to work. From ASEAN to Australia, it's ASIP On Air, the show where we amplify young voices, explore diverse perspectives, and deepen conversations on key issues across Australia and Southeast Asia. Hello and welcome to ASIP On Air. I'm Claude. And I'm Davino. In this episode, Suthida Chang joins us from Thailand as we explore how smart, inclusive, and green post-COVID recovery is made possible in smart cities across the region. Hi, Suthida. Thank you for joining us today. Hi. And thank you for having me here. So, Suthida, would you be able to tell us a few key points from your piece? So my piece is basically formed around um, three examples of three case studies of smart cities in the Asia-Pacific region. So they are cities in Thailand and Australia and Singapore and how these cities have the attributes that can help policymakers in the post-COVID recovery phase to recover better, smarter and more sustainably and fairer for its citizens. It's really interesting. Um, Claude, would you like to start off with the first question? You talked about how smart cities become experimental sandboxes that allow decision makers to test policies for post-COVID recovery. Can you tell us a little bit more about so my idea of a sandbox, it's really from my classes because I'm talk I'm learning about innovation and public policy. So we're always, you know, talking around that culture of failure and how we need technology as part of that experimental design when we're talking about cities and post-COVID recovery. So when I was having, when I was writing that part, I was thinking about you know, cities, especially major urban hubs with their technology bases and, and with smart AI and all that, how they allow policy decision, decision makers, not just the government, but also the community to come together to test a lot of different solutions or suggestions even. And then because of the technological background or underlying technology piece, it can really accelerate how some of the solutions to scale up and see whether it's going to be viable and feasible across the whole country. I think it's really important that we are able to talk about the future of smart cities and how this will help in the post-COVID recovery. With that, smart cities need willing citizens to adapt to its rapid changing landscape. What attributes make a smart citizen I think the most important part that makes a smart citizen is a growth mindset. Sounds cliche, 
but it's really important is with technology again things are changing so fast and it's as if it's really easy for people to be left behind and there are groups that are going to be left be left behind when a city digitalizes so for smart cities to work it's not it's really not only about technology you can have the best infrastructure without the people who have the right knowledge and skills to use those technology the smart cities are not going to work and which you know goes back to the growth mindset people have to essentially we are all learners of life there's so much going on we're constantly updating our own skills upskilling ourselves reskilling even so that we can know how to leverage all these technological advances to make smart cities work as a young person yourself how do you think youth can embody those characteristics From my own view, it's important to first have an open mind. Is like my background is in intercultural studies, so I'm very well aware that a lot of our decisions, our behavior, the way we think and interact, all these aspects of our personalities are shaped by our cultural backgrounds and our environments. So it's easy to sort of have loopholes when you're only seeing things from one perspective. So I think that for us to be like empowered smart citizens that can help our government or our own community to better adapt to technology we have to be open to change and be open to new ideas agreed and uh, it's also important that of course our governments are able to foster these changing landscapes and foster uh, more conversations and also the skills that we need as young people in order for us to be smart citizens in order for us to uh, have that growth mindset that you were talking about just perhaps it's so important for young people to and feel that their voice matters through technology it may be easier to build up that kind of communication with like political stakeholders and apart from traditional policymakers um i think our world we really in a liberal world so there's going there's only going to be increasing opportunities for young people to use technology to make our voice heard so it's really important that we are responsible users and we know how to use technology to not only you know, for our own benefits for our own good but for really it's important to stress that you know, the people around you need that kind of community building in order for smart cities in order for the world to work yeah i completely agree i think you know we're living in a digital age and we also have that responsibility to use um you know the, the digital sort of environment to our advantage and not really misuse it for wrong things so you mentioned a few case studies but i think the one that sort of stood out was uh, to me was the um uh, case study in singapore um where you mentioned that they've been able to utilize technology in developing smart cities and integrate e-governance strategies in tackling the issues faced in contract tracing during covid-19 i was just curious to know how does that explain the inability of the singaporean government um in not being able to combat the recent increase in covid-19 cases I was also kind of like 
having that oh my gosh moment when I saw the recent spike in Singapore. So thinking the case study was I was really I focused about um, the contact tracing through apps and all that for local res- residents or citizens. But I was following the recent increase in Singapore. So that's really because of starting countries starting to reopen to tourists coming from like Okay, high alert areas, and that there was some mixing going on in the airport. So I think it might be more difficult to implement contract trade contact tracing like APPs or devices on people who are just here for transit or for business purposes. So that kind of the influx of people may have been the cause. But then again, I think the underlining that is you can't. Maybe it's just inevitable for this kind of spikes to happen because Singapore, it's, it's such a, it's in such a central area. It's a key transport hub. Is it really possible to keep people out forever? So, yeah. Yeah, I completely agree with you because, you know, Singapore is so central to a lot of movement and it's quite hard to keep the borders shut because there's people constantly having to transit in the Singaporean airport. And uh, recently, the Indian variant of the COVID-19 strain has actually reached the Singaporean uh, borders, unfortunately. But I think... um, I mean, I'm not too sure which uh, vaccine can be used, but I believe, I think Pfizer can uh, fight against the Indian variant. So I think they should be all right. Yeah. Speaking of keeping things um, open and our economies in, in the line, there's also a talk about opening up to tourism. Actually, in the Philippines, we have... Uh, safe Pinas campaigns. It's basically campaigns about restarting domestic tourism. And we also have contact tracing apps and subsidizing RT-PCR tests for local travelers and even having medical businesses popping up here and there so that you can get more access to quick and cheaper alternatives for COVID-19 tests. You mentioned in your article that Thailand did a We Travel Together and Let's Go Haves campaign. Can you share a personal experience in traveling in Thailand amidst the pandemic? Yeah. Um, when the Let's Go Travel Together, like that campaign was launched last July. My mom and I were actually really excited because for our family, we travel very frequently. <laughs> So being stuck at home for over half a year, and we were like, oh, great, there's a campaign, let's go travel. And we've never been to Phuket. Oh, that campaign was really around attracting domestic tourists to Phuket Island, southern Thailand. So we went, and the application for that campaign, we had to register online, and that was quite an easy process. It just needed our ID identification card number and a phone number to register and after that because i received a confirmation message in about one day's time that that was really efficient well based on my experience (laughs) and then so that actually covered a part partially our ticket and accommodation so they're really good incentives and you see how the government through this campaign really encouraged a lot of people to visit Phuket Island. And then when we went there, there were also applications that showed you vendors, some perhaps street vendors or restaurants that were registered on the same platform. So when we made purchase there, it actually, the sellers and both 
with both the buyers and the sellers, we receive some sort of cash rebate. So overall, it was quite a really great experience. And yeah, I hope it actually continues for longer. Is it still ongoing? Um, there are different variations of the campaigns going on. And as from the Thailand government side, they've also wrote out different campaigns to target different groups of people. Right. And so with your experience, would you say that the use of Thailand's technology was truly utilized? I'll say yes, because COVID times calls for special and kind of emergency services. So you know, being able to come up with a plan like this that really is really based on technology, based on mobile technology that, well, I'm not sure of the statistics, but I'm pretty sure that mobile phones and mobile internet or mobile data, the penetration rate is quite high in Thailand. So it was a pretty accessible way of like, the marketing this campaign to the people. Is Thailand reopening to other countries soon or are they still in limbo about that? Hmm. <laughs> That's a good question because um, I'll say, well, as of now, I've been following the news as well. Then even though we're in a bit of a not so good situation with the recent search over the Thai New Year. But I think as of now, the government is still planning to reopen, um, but only for Phuket Island in July. So... Not sure if it's going to, that same kind of policy is going to be replicated in other cities like Bangkok or Chiang Mai. But for Phuket Island in July, we should be reopening to vaccinated <laughs> international guests. I'm asking because I will be there in Phuket. <laughs> See you there, Sudita. <laughs> See you there. <laughs> I'm very curious to know, in Malaysia, where I'm from originally, um, there was an instance of surge in cases whenever there was a national holiday. So I was just wondering, in Thailand, is that the same? Because you mentioned in the Thailand New Year, there was a surge in cases. So just curious to know what it's like actually over there. Yeah, it's pretty similar. <laughs> so um, it was pretty much really under control. We were having like single digits all almost single digits for the most part of 2020. And then it actually, there was a second wave over the Christmas and New Year period. That was the shrimp farm issue. And then we controlled it down. So it was pretty steady until mid of April, which is the Thai New Year period. And that New Year, because our New Year was canceled last year so this year it was a really important festival and in thai culture new year well it's a new year it's really important and people are celebrating taking multiple days of work this year we had a really long weekend as well so it's the movement of people that kind of mobility that sort of created this third wave yeah, that's super interesting, but also very unfortunate that there's a clear sort of correlation between uh, national holidays and an increase in COVID cases all over the world, I would say. Uh, 
I guess we've heard from you about Singapore and Thailand, and I thought it'd be interesting to get your perspective on Australia because you mentioned a few things about Australia as well in your uh, piece. So I was wondering, um, in particular, the switch to renewable energies in Brisbane smart city development. How do you think Australia at a federal level could make the shift to renewable energies? Well, disclaimer first, I am not entirely familiar with Australia, but based on um, what I've read and researched for writing the piece, I think there's a really strong emphasis on community, on the people, or what we call the civil society. So I think for Australia at a federal level to implement this kind of renewable energy drive, it's important to really engage local stakeholders, and that means the people, with the kind of communal community effort. I think it's going to be much more, much more practical, much more, I mean, tailored to local people's needs because I imagine in different areas there'll be different needs, different lifestyles, different infrastructure that are currently available. So tailoring it, like working on that kind of shift together with the people, I think that would be the right and effective way forward. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um, cause I'm, I'm based in Australia right now and, um, state governments and local governments are a lot stronger on the switch to renewable energies than it, than the federal government. So that's why I was just interested on your perspective on that. But so yeah, I was, my last question. And I guess the last question that we have for you is, you know, besides the three countries that you highlighted in your piece, which was Singapore, Thailand and Australia, are there any other examples that, you know, you just didn't have the time or the word limit to fit into your piece, um, that have implemented, uh, smart cities and have seen a clear change in combating environmental issues as well as contributing to their respective economies through smart cities? Actually, I was really interested in the case of China, but not sure about the geographical range and definitely short on word limit. So, because I lived in China for a while before COVID, and even then there was a lot, Alipay was such a big thing. So it's essentially it has replaced, I don't know, at least in the city I was living in. So I was living in Ningbo. It's near Shanghai, so it's the eastern coast of China. So I don't I never had to carry cash with me. And then when I go on the buses and everything, it was all through the Alipay application to scan a QR code and that's it. I thought that was a really cool way. And the transactions though, it's the same issue. There's always the issue of trust and all that, especially when it comes to China's specific political situation. But I do feel that with the use of um, digital wallets and mobile applications, it has changed how the city functions and how the people in it interact. So it's definitely interesting. And during the COVID period, China had a really strong policy when it comes to um, lockdowns and all that. So that health code was also, I mean, it's similar to uh, contact tracing or it's actually can say the same thing. So with that kind of, and I think it was successful for China to you know, control the situation because people are already so familiar with using digital wallets and Alipay. So essentially the addition of one more function of that health code, it, it people didn't really have to have that much of a behavioral shift, but it came rather naturally. And then which kind of means when, 
talking about environmental issues, it's also interesting to see that China has been investing a lot on greening its economy and all that. So it's actually, I think, it's a really interesting area for China to move forward and how they can utilize leverage their existing expertise and people's familiarity with mobile applications and such to focus on the green transition. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of ASIP On Air, special edition on the ASIP Review 2020. Get your copy of the ASEAN Australia Review at ASIP.org. And follow us on all social media and subscribe to ASIP On Air on Spotify to catch our weekly episodes.